Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, fighter fans, to this added edition to the darker side of boxing. I'm delighted to be joined by the writer, author of the book, The Ghost of Tapia, Paul Zanon. Paul, really looking forward to chatting to you about the book and, of course, Johnny himself uh, and your time spent with Teresa. Thanks so much for taking the time out to speak to us. No, thank you very much for having me on. You know, you've got a great podcast and uh, I really appreciate, first, you know, the, the amount of people you could have asked to sort of come on here. I, I feel quite humbled. So uh, thank you, Sean. It's it's great to get you on because obviously you got a, a real inside scoop into the life of Johnny Tapia more so than than most of us really and and we did our podcast based on a lot of information that's out there to be able to put together, i.e. obviously Johnny's book, extracts from your book, the documentaries out there, there's all sorts of literature out there on Johnny and we put our story together and you know it was we thought it'd be a good idea to get you on because you had the opportunity to speak to Teresa who in doing our episode, we found to be uh, an absolute rock and a warrior of a woman, you know, for, for the things she did and the things that she went through with Johnny and his life and how much love she had for him. So we felt like it was only apt that how good your book is, it's only right that we should get on and talk about the book and talk about your time spent, obviously, with Teresa and, and putting everything together. Oh, that's, that's, that's really, really kind. Of. Teresa, what an incredible lady. Um, I mean... Just, just to sort of say, you know, from the get-go, I remember sort of saying to her, how did you meet Johnny? And she was like, well, I was at this barbecue and uh, and he came over and was kind of relentless, didn't want to give up. And she said, I think at the time she wasn't even old enough to be able to sort of drink air because, you know, 21 um, in America, drinking age. But anyway, literally within about, I think, a handful of weeks, they're married. And um, it really started from there. Um, you've got to remember, this is like the first few minutes I'm chatting with Teresa and she's now telling me this bit and she says, so she says, we get married, and he said, there's a party back at the house, which is Teresa's mother's house. And um, she, she says, uh, someone comes over to her and says, do you want to know what you've married? 
And she went, what do you mean, what? I've married. She said, you want, do you know where your husband is right now? And she was like, no, he says, follow me. So um, goes into the loo and basically Johnny's in there doing some hardcore drugs. She literally bangs down a door and said, what the hell is going on here? And she, she had no idea about the whole drug thing. And then um, Johnny comes sort of flying out. And then next thing, there's a big fight and it's all kicked off. It's like the... Uh, the Wild West in the house, and um, the police get called in. And so Johnny, um, basically, one of Johnny's friends managed to calm it down, and then, and then uh, Johnny ends up by um, going with Teresa. That was kind of like the deal with the police, to get him out of here. And so Teresa grabs Johnny, they get in the car, they drive off. They, they were supposed to be going to this really nice hotel, which had been donated to them, a lovely, lovely place. And um, instead, in the words of uh, Teresa, they ended up at this flea-bag-infested motel, and they get there, and... Um, Basically, Johnny picks up a handful, not a handful, picks up all the loose cash that had been donated by the people for the wedding and says, I'll be back in just two secs. So he takes the other car keys with him, runs off with all the cash, and she's there thinking, what the hell am I going to do now? So five minutes goes, 10 minutes goes, an hour goes, and then the next thing, there's a knock at the door. This is the morning after um, from uh, basically someone says, Johnny's uh, at the hospital. Um, we need to go down and see him. She's like, why? She said, well, he's been declared dead on arrival. So she's been married for less than 24 hours and her husband's already um, declared dead on arrival and, and all this shenanigans at the house. So she she rushes off to the hospital thinking, oh my God, what, ugh, this is awful. Gets there. And when she arrives, Johnny runs past her in one of those um, gowns, you know, the, the hospital gowns with his ass hanging out with the back not done up properly. And she's just kind of like mouth agape looking, going, what the hell's gone on here? Johnny sprinted past, gone flying out the doors, and then she said, is this some sort of bad joke? Anyway, that was the first 24 hours married as Mrs. Johnny Tapia. And so you can kind of imagine the um, the precedent that was set there in terms of the life they were going to live. And it just carried on getting, I'd say, worse and more um, and more colourful all the way through. I mean, he was, he was dead on arrival on five occasions um, uh, through their uh, marriage. So, uh, yeah, what, a, what an incredible woman. Married to an incredible fighter who uh, had the most horrific traumatic experience, which basically led him to the person that he was to be. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was um, I think it was Bob Case who said it best when he said he's a product of his environment. I think was the phrase he used about uh, about Johnny Tapia. Um, but let's just firstly focus on on obviously your book uh, itself. It came out uh, two years ago, twenty nineteen, uh, through Hamilcar, which you know they've been doing some brilliant books as of late, some great stories, uh, and and it's been great to see you know the sort of reception that you've got off the back of it, but. Just sort of talk me through, you know, how it all came about, how it came together, and why was it Johnny Tapia? So, I actually did a um, an article with uh, with Teresa Tapia for Boxing Monthly magazine. It was around mm, 2018, I think it was, or maybe 2000. I can't remember exactly. And um, it was. It turned out to be a, a six pager, and um, for the late great defunct uh, Boxing Monthly, I had good good memories. Uh, I was writing for them for about seven years, I think. But anyway, it was it was a great story. Um, not not because I written it, but it, it was just a great story. Listening to the inside track from her, and um, I then got speaking to because I was already writing for uh, Hannibal Boxing, which is uh, is owned by the same two guys, Kyle and Andy, and uh, they were talking about this this noir series. And the first one had come out, hadn't gone to print yet, and had been working a few months with Don Stradley for the very first one. 
I think it was Edwin Valero. And um, so Andy and, um, and and Kyle basically said, have you got an idea for a book? And I went and they explained the theme. And I said, um, there might be one there. I said, um, maybe a collaboration with Teresa Tapia. And, uh, and then chatting with Teresa, she was like, yep, straight away, let's do it. And uh, yeah, it came to fruition really quickly. Um, I reckon I wrote that book in around two months flat and uh, interviewed a load of people. I'd, I'd been given a specific word count that it had to be shoehorned into because otherwise I could have written 100,000 words easy on that. Um, but yeah, got to got to interview some, uh, some good people for it. Um, and uh, Teresa was an absolute dream to work with. We used to do phone calls on Messenger and um, she's just the sort of person that the, the second she answered the phone, the first thing she would do is ask about your family, how your health was, um, just a really good-hearted woman. Um, and then the next thing she'd be talking about, oh, you know, yeah, so this person was, was dead and this person got shot and this person, yeah, and you're thinking, she's just saying it so sort of candidly and calmly, you know, but uh, I don't think um, any other character would have been able to put, with up, put up with Johnny Tapia otherwise, you know, uh, it, it, it was a living whirlwind. So talk about the, the foreword to your book. I know there's a little bit of a story that you wanted to share behind that you mentioned. And, and it's, it's again, it's a, it's a great little foreword to what is a uh, a really good book. And, and I'm really interested to hear the story behind that. No, cheers. Well, what happened was um, I was kind of working out who could get the forward. And I thought I could go to this sort of stereotypical, cliched uh, boxer or sort of connected to or whatever. And that's how I say stereotypical. You know, they still work very, very well. but. Um, all of a sudden, Teresa said to me, oh, you know, I've got someone you should speak to. Um, he'd be good for the forward. And I said, okay. I didn't even ask who it was. I just thought, if that's who you want, that's who we'll go with. And she said, his name's Sammy. So um, she gave me this number and she said, here's an email address. You'll need to uh, email uh, his PA to get it organized. So she said, but be aware. She says, he, he tours a, a lot. And, uh, and when he does, you might not get a, a response for three months. And I was like, okay, well, I said, if it takes too long, we'll get someone else. Well, I emailed uh, the PA and uh, he was in Thailand or somewhere I can't remember he was he was definitely on tour overseas and um she responded to me within hours and said yes yeah, Sammy said he'd love to do it Sammy was a, a close friend I couldn't even remember his name at this point and um his, his surname so uh anyway I, I I'm there and then the day before I said right I better remember his full name it's Sammy Hagar and I still didn't look up on the, on Google who it was so um picks up the phone it literally in 24 hours it all happened and uh He's like, hey, man, is that Paul? And I was like, oh, hi, Sammy, how are you? And he was like, what sort of accent is that, man? And I said, um, England. I said, uh, as in, you know, where the Queen lives? He went, England? So what the hell are you doing calling from there? He said, Johnny Tapia's book. He said, I was expecting like some Chicano, Mexicano, something. He says, at least an American. He said, English? And I was like, yeah. And he said, okay, man. So I said, um, how did you get to meet Johnny? And uh, he said, well, he was a big fan of my work, you know, with, with music. And it's at this point, I thought uh, it was, you know, it was a good little lesson. That he, he never come ill prepared for, for an interview. And I very rarely am for whatever reason. I hadn't come too pregnant. And I'm clicking on it. I suddenly realized, bloody hell, he was, he, he was part of Van Halen for years. And um, I suddenly realized this is a massive name I'm speaking to. You know, look at his following. And I was like, wow. So, um, but it turns out a great story. His dad used to be a professional boxer. He was a bit of a um, bit of a rebel, his dad, and uh, fought under about three or four different names because he kept getting banned at different places. And um, and then Sammy ended up by having to go himself. Um, his mum was absolutely devastated when he said he was going to try and be like his dad because his dad was a, a drunk and um, it was coming home beaten up all the time. 
So uh, Johnny um, went to uh, to a professional boxing gym. Uh, George Shavala was in there with some other people. And he said, um, in the words of uh, Sammy Hagar, he said, I went in there. He says, this Mexican guy, they put me in the ring with him. He said, I was 15. He says, he beat the hell out of me. He said, I came home. He said, I had a headache. And he said, I remember I was watching TV. And he said, and uh, my sisters were watching the television. And he said, um, all of a sudden, Elvis Presley popped up on the screen. And they're like, oh, my God, Elvis, he's so lovely. And all oh, this and all oh, that. And he went, yep, that's the guy I want to be. That's the industry I'm going to be in. And that was it. So at that point, he went from boxer to rock star and uh, the rest is history. But he was he was fantastic. He gave me about a good 45 minutes of his time to uh, to create the forward. And um, yeah. And when the book came out, he, he did his best to endorse it as well in the United States whenever he was there and social media and uh, you name it. But um, yeah, love, lovely guy, Sammy Hagar. Van Halen, who'd have thought, eh? It's a great claim to fame, isn't it? Absolutely great claim to fame, that, being able to uh, to speak to, to an absolute icon like that. And it, the book itself then, obviously we've, we've touched a little bit on it and we'll touch a little bit more on it throughout the course. I really wanted to sort of delve into your mind a little bit, Paul, when you were doing this book. And, you know, obviously um, you, you, you knew Johnny Tapia, you knew he was as a fighter, you probably knew you know a lot about his story beforehand because you did the article. And then when you when you're writing it, when you're putting this together, when you were speaking to Teresa about his childhood in particular, uh, I know when I was doing this, it made me feel sort of this great deal of sadness, you know, trying to present a a a, a story about an individual who has so many great nights inside of the ring and so many bad nights outside of it, and I, I felt such great sadness. You know, he came from a, such a loving home with his mom, uh, uncon- such unconditional love with his mom. And then for incidents to occur that that occurred in his life with his his mum tragically being murdered, and then uh, there was an incident prior to that on the bus uh, when there was the bus uh, the coach crash, uh, and he was he talked about being sat next to an individual who was pregnant, and he literally saw this woman die as a result of that crash, and it's all this tragedy at such a young age. Uh, straight away to me said, this is what created him and put him into the place that he needed to get to to be able to be the fighter he was. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> bouncing back from the accident on the bus um, is something that he probably could have, I guess, moved away from over the years. You know, it's something that he could have maybe compartmentalised in his head and and put it in the sort of the quiet zone. But what happened to his mother, that's basically, that was a ticking time bomb from the second it happened. When I say a ticking time bomb, ticking time bomb in terms of Johnny Tapia's clock, counting down rapidly, um, taking the years off, far faster than, you know, what way ahead of his year should have been. I mean, just for the people who are maybe not familiar with what happened to his mother, he, he stayed around at his, um, his grandparents that night and it was, what, sort of seven, eight, nine years old, however he was. And um, and basically, he he didn't want his mother to go that night. He had a bad gut feeling and she, he was crying. And he never used to cry. He was a tough little kid. And he was like, mom, mom, don't go, don't go. He had this bad feeling that she was going to go somewhere and something was going to happen. Anyway, that night, he's um, he's at his grandparents. And in the middle of the night, for whatever reason, he, he decides to pull the window. And as he looks out the window, he sees his truck going past. And um, he sees this this lady chained to the back of this sort of pickup truck. And it's his mum. So he wakes up his grandparents. And he's like, he said, get up, get up. And he says, you know, explain what happened. And, they, you know, they give him a slap and say, you know, go back to bed, silly little kid. And that's it. And his mum basically did this, you know, it took about three days before anyone found out where she was. And what happened was um, these guys had met her at a bar, um, kidnapped her. And then um, 
ended up by stabbing her 27 times. Memory serves me like a blunt pair of scissors. Um, this happened at a quarry. Um, somehow she she survived all that, that mauling. Um, she was severed so badly. It's something that's in the book, the detail. It's horrible. But um, she managed to crawl out of the quarry and onto the road and uh, and then was was picked up by an ambulance and taken to the hospital. But um, when word got around that she was still alive, the person who did the uh, the deed before went along and finished off the job. Um, Johnny grew and grew up with one ambition in life. It wasn't to become a five-time, three-weight world champion, albeit that was an incredible achievement. He had one goal. That was to find a person who did that to his mum and kill them. Period. That's it. End of story. Black and white. And um, it never happened. And the reason why it never happened was that um, one day when he was in training for one of his fights, again, it's all detailed in the book, um, he found out that the person had been killed in a car accident about 10 years prior. In the words of Teresa, he, she knew at that point it wasn't a case of, you know, if Johnny was going to die, it was a case of when. She knew that that was it. That was now he couldn't do that one thing he wanted to do. And um, he was already heavily on the drugs and and, and basically went on a, a horrible, horrible um, journey for, for the balance of his life there. But be under no illusion. I mean, there's 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 loads and loads and loads of great boxing tales in that in, in that book um, that show you the boxer Johnny Tapia. But uh, the tormented soul he was, probably the most tormented person I've I've ever written about. And trust me, I've I've scribed about some some crazy individuals which have had to go through some real shit in life. And um, he he's he's definitely top of the leaderboard on that front. If if anything, it's probably incredible that he lived as long as he did. Yeah, people do say that about him, don't they? Again, there was another quote about him living 500 years in the space of 45 years that he was on the planet. And it's just like, you, you do genuinely believe that that was the case. He lived so many lives in such a short space of time. Uh, but the sort of sense I got and the feeling I got from uh, the words in his own book and then obviously the book that you've put together with Teresa is that, you know, he was just never able to put that incident to bed because of the fact that he didn't go out and do what he wanted to do which was to ultimately kill the guy that that murdered his mother and it just felt like that that was always going to be there that was always going to be a matter of like you said when when when's he going to go because he's, he's going to implode at some point and then there was multiple sort of interventions that i read about where Teresa had, had, had tried to do things to, to intervene but ultimately she was sort of fighting this battle against him to try and keep him on the straight and narrow, and it was just a constant losing battle for her. So you obviously got the opportunity to speak to Teresa uh, multiple occasions, lots of time put into the book. Um, you mentioned uh, a little bit about what it was like working with her. Um, what was what was sort of her reactions? You know, when she was resharing these stories with you for for the book. You know, what was how how was she uh, putting them across? Was it again with a great deal of sadness, or or was it just you know sort of? I seem to get the impression she enjoys speaking about Johnny and, and talking about his life. Was that the sort of impression you got when, when putting this together? Yeah, there's two things to mention here. So firstly, Johnny had had a, an autobiography done in, I think it was when it came out, I believe he'd actually passed away. It was 2012, 13, um, when, uh, when the autobiography came out. So that's obviously you know, in Johnny's voice, etc. But there was a few areas in that book that... A, uh, a bright torch wasn't shone into, and I, I and I did that. But you've also got to remember as well that after Johnny died, there's, uh, or sh should I say, um, Johnny was still alive in that book. So when it was published, it was, you know, it, it, the last chapter was him still sort of 
Johnny being Johnny doing stuff. Um, so the difference to that book and mine certainly towards the end is that I asked Teresa to take me through step by step um, the last month of when Johnny was alive. And of course, that was a, a very emotional chapter for her to talk to. And she handled herself extremely well. Of course, you know, like as anyone would, you're going to drop a few tears when there's something that poignant. But um, she she literally took me through. It was it was a month build up. And that's a hell of a painful build up. You know, it's one thing just as someone dies on a day, but it was all the signals that were saying something sliding badly. Um, talking right the way through to the day she found him dead there and uh, and sort of you know grabbing him and saying don't you dare die I mean he was he was already dead and and these sort of things so um yeah there's there's that and there's I, I spoke to a few other people I, I spoke with Christy Martin I spoke with all kinds of people um for, for the book um but one thing I would like to say is this is that the book is the noir series so it's true crime and it's supposed to be quite dark um let me tell you one thing. Johnny Tapia was one funny, funny man. And uh, I'm not talking funny as in sort of, you know, loopy around the bend. I'm talking funny as in he had a phenomenal sense of humour. And um, it, it's almost, it would almost be worth doing, you know, if you've got the noir series, to do the Blanc series to sort of say, you know, the, the, uh, the uplifting side of Johnny because there were so many anecdotes I didn't put in there where Teresa would should even say, oh, I know we can't put this in because it's supposed to be, you know, sort of a dark book, but let me share this with you. And we, we, we shared some great laughs. I mean, there's a few little snippets you get in, in the book, for example, where um, Johnny's uh, dead on arrival, I don't know, time number four or time number five, whatever it is. And um, Mike Tyson suddenly appeared at the hospital and uh, unannounced, typical Mike walks in, the whole street block, everything goes on meltdown that the hospital. I mean, there was people there who'd gone to go and see dying relatives. And they were kind of like, yeah, they're, they're going to have to wait for a little bit because Mike Tyson just walked in. We're going to go and follow him. And then Tyson suddenly appears uh, by the side of um, Johnny's bed. And uh, and, he, and he's, he's basically, um, you know, he's, I try and do my worst impression of Mike Tyson. But he's gone, <laughs> oh, Johnny, man, he says, listen, you know, you need to get shit together. And, you know, I, I can help you out. I've got, I've got guys who can do the do thing for you and help you. And you know, mentally, you need to get back in the game, you know. And, and Johnny's looked at him and he goes, you trying to give me advice? And then he was like, I guess crazy knows crazy, you know. And then the both of them just erupted in laughter. And um, Mike Tyson was probably one of the few people on the planet who probably could really get Johnny Tappy because maybe Johnny was one of the few people on the planet who'd gone through more crazy shit than Tyson. And Tyson has been through one hell of an ordeal in life. Um, but uh, but it's true, crazy knows crazy. But there's another time when, when Johnny woke up, I think number two or three, dead on arrival where um i think bruce trampler or or one of these massive guys had gone beds you know got, got seen by the bed and um he'd have already been written off the doctor said he's definitely dying and and that was it and then johnny wakes up and the first thing he says is hey what's a man have to do get a cheeseburger around here you know and, and that was apparently just typical 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 johnny but he was also um he detested bullies he detested bullies so much. And Johnny was a short man. Yeah, I say short, you know, he's about five, five, something like that, with, uh, with, with fist of fury and, uh, and pepper like nobody could match. And um, if he saw somebody being beaten up, it didn't matter if there was 100 people on one, he would go in like Tasmanian devil and rip people apart. And there's a few stories in the book like that. 
And the old expression, um, he would give you the shirt off his back. Again, I think it's a little anecdote, but literally he would. And there was one time he came back to the house and Teresa said, well, what happened? You get involved in the fight. Where's your shirt? And he was like, no, no. He said, you know, there was this, this guy, um, he, he didn't have a shirt. He says, uh, you know, he was down on his luck. He said, so I took mine off and gave mine to his. And uh, Teresa said that he was like that all the time. He'd be giving out, people come around to the house. That's a nice television you've got, bang. He'd detach it off the wall, hand it to them. Um, you know, it's nice shoes you got. He was giving stuff out all the time to absolutely everybody. And it didn't matter at what point of his life, if he was broke or if he had money, it really did not matter. And he was also one of those people that if you saw somebody who was a bit sad in the room, he would run over to him, want to talk to him and try and pick them up. It may be that you've never met him before. Maybe he's met them once, really didn't care less. If he saw somebody who looked a little bit low, he would go over and have a chat with them. And that was, that was Johnny. He, he, he really was the life and soul of the party. That book, like I said, doesn't reflect that because it's not supposed to, it's supposed to be a, a, you know, a true crime, hard-hitting, dark book. But, um, but the man really was hilarious. It's, uh, it's, it's a shame he wasn't around now because I, I would love to know his take on some of the more comical sides of boxing. You know, the, um, when you get the likes of the Jake Paul in there. I'd have liked to have seen a Jake Paul in there with a, a Johnny Tapia because... Uh, Johnny Tappy wouldn't have gone in there and pussyfoot around, doesn't matter how much money is at stake there. If he's getting paid to go in there, like, you know, with Floyd Mayweather, where Floyd basically carried him and, you know, prodded him a few times with a jab. If you'd have stepped on Johnny's toes and all like trying to mug him off, it had knocked him out in seconds. The fight would have lasted 15 seconds, and that includes a 10 count, you know? So uh, Johnny Tapia was was unique, didn't didn't bend over for anybody and uh, was always true to himself. Uh, loved ferociously and um, and anybody who was part of his group always knew that they could turn to Johnny for absolutely anything. So Johnny was posthumously inducted to the to the Hall of Fame, the International Boxing Hall of Fame, I believe. Uh, and, and one of the things we were talking about in the after show to our episode was about, you know, the the lighter side, like you've really good, given a good description of there. Um, do you think like more of the lighter side of, of Johnny's life, more the focus on what he actually did in the ring is, is something that should be put forward as, as time goes by? Because obviously we've done our own darker side of boxing you've done your book there's his own book out there there's documentaries out there on him but i kind of feel now i've done this and now we've put this out there and and obviously you've got your book and all the other stuff that's out there i kind of feel like you know maybe somebody should go out there and and put something more more of the lighter side out there do you think that's something you'd be interested in given like what you've done yeah maybe i mean uh... I, I, I can never write enough about Johnny. You know, he's uh, what, what a character is. It's funny if you speak, you speak to people who know Johnny. And last year, um, during COVID um, lockdown, I, I interviewed Frank Warren. And there's an article out there. I think I did it for Hannibal Boxing. And um, it was something like uh, when, when Johnny came to London. I think that's the name of the article. And uh, you, you know, it's, it's sat there for everyone to have a read. But uh, Frank gave me gave me his time to talk about Johnny, and uh, and he said, I remember always remember him saying, I can't remember what's what's in the article there, but he said he said he was actually a really funny guy. And um, when they got there, uh, they were playing, you know, that game where you get the one penny pieces and you flick it up against the wall, and the yeah. one who got it the closest wins. Well, all of a sudden, sort of, you know, Frank had come in the office, and Johnny's playing with uh, with the other guys in his office this game, and then Frank ends up by joining in, and of course, Frank Warren won it, you know, so. Um, but uh, he, he said he, he was a really, really lovely, lovely man. And he, and it, Frank also said, you know, Teresa, what a, what a lovely, lovely lady. And uh, the fight that Johnny had in London 
was yeah. the only time I believe that he actually left the United States. And I, um, as part of the article, I, I gave uh, my mate um, Wayne Alexander a call and even Jimmy Tibbs to talk about that night because Wayne Alexander was actually topping the bill uh, fighting against uh, Peter Samilio for the um, light middleweight or super welterweight in these days um, European title. And it, it was basically Johnny was the undercard. But in the words of Wayne, he said, he said, I was headlining the event. He said, but I wasn't really. He said, Johnny Tapia, he says, with a headline. People queued around York Hall like a couple of times over. They'd never seen a queue like that before. People queued up knowing they weren't going to get a ticket, but just wanted to get a glimpse of him. These were the days before social media and cameras, whatever. So people are turning up with their cameras from home with films and then whatever else. And... Um, and people, anyone who had a bit of memorabilia, a glove, whatever it was, Johnny stopped and signed absolutely everything for everyone. And, uh, I mean, he, he, he put on a show for at least, what, 50 seconds, and he'd been given uh, strict instructions from his corner, like, you know, fill this guy out a bit, take it two, three rounds, and then put the pressure on. Well, you knock the guy out. He's In his own words, so by the time I got down the stall and he says, and, and took my seat, he says that the bell had gone. He says, and the guy was knocked out, and Johnny was there doing backflips, you know? So, but... Um, yeah, w without a doubt. I speaking, like I said, just just Johnny Tapia, etc. Johnny, I'm sorry to Johnny Tapia, to uh, Wayne Alexander. He told me that when he spoke with Johnny after the weigh-ins, he said he had a little chat with him. He said he was such a polite, um, well-mannered guy. Uh, the problem with Johnny was that he could suddenly flip, as, uh, as Sammy Hagar said. You know, you'd be chatting to him, and he'd be the nicest guy, and and then all of a sudden he'd flip. But 99 times out of 100 that he flipped, it was wasn't him flipping on his own he was flipping because he was defending somebody or somebody's honor or or, or something had happened that he felt like he needed to jump in for so uh, it, it wasn't it just he you know like i said before he hated bullies and he hated anyone acting like that including himself so um but yeah i reckon that speak to enough people and just say just give me funny stories of johnny tapia and i reckon there'd be a counter book to the uh, to the ghost of without a doubt Johnny Tapia in the social media age is something that we were speaking about in our in our after show. Is like, you know, you look at how social media affects the sport so much these days. You know, fights are created over it. Hype is surrounding the YouTube sort of boxing sensations. I just can't imagine, well, I can imagine what Johnny Tapia would be like on social media. The, you know, the events inside and outside the ring. You can imagine, like, his fights being on there. And then you can imagine... The incidents outside of the ring also being on there and breaking the internet. I think the words I use were Johnny Tapia would break the internet if he was if he was still around today, or if you know social media were around in the time where he was uh, in his prime of, in the prime of his career. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, now and then you get a little flash up of uh, Adrian Broner's done this and Adrian Broner's done that. I'm thinking that ain't shit compared to what Johnny Tapia was doing. You know, it's like um, imagine you're on social media and you're reading it. And it's like. Johnny Tapia, you know, pronounced dead on arrival. They're like, oof. And then this is the same man who's then going on winning world titles, and it happens twice. It happens three times. It happens for it happens five damn times, dead on arrival. And you're thinking, this is a world champion boxer, three way, and you know, and someone who never backed down to a challenge, who fought the very best, and um, and shared the ring with some incredible people. And um, yeah, absolutely. I, I think what would happen is it would escalate faster than uh, than petrol to fire and uh there'd probably like you say be a lot of out of um out of twitter action shall we say uh where he'd, he'd want to meet up with people or you'd suddenly see on the news you know johnny tapia tracks down troll it'd be a lot worse than what curtis woodhouse did and you know it'd probably be like you know, setting fire to a house or something and uh, to get the person out to come and fight him but um 
he he would be, he would have been hilarious. And it's funny, you know, you mentioned about what Johnny Tappy would have been like. Um, there's a few other people that I'd have loved to have seen engage in uh, in social media back in the day too that really stand out. Of course, Muhammad Ali. Um, you know, 140 characters would have been ideal for him because he was the master of the other uh, one-liners, wasn't he? And uh, and the other person I think would have been great is Jack Johnson. You know, he, he was the original braggadocio and um jack johnson muhammad ali and johnny tapia those three musketeers on um on twitter oof, it's uh i think if you're going to engage with them be prepared to sort of close your account down afterwards because they're coming for you <laughs> well you know what paul it's been it's been a pleasure uh giving us this time to talk about your book predominantly but talking about your time that you've spent with Teresa, uh the stories that were shared the little uh, anecdotes that you've shared with us and, and thank you for that and obviously for, for those that haven't already read your book uh, and followed you on social media please just explain to them where they can get a copy of the book and also where they can follow you on social media to follow your other work as well my, my Twitter handle, I think, is at PaulZanon1972. Um, the book, uh, the Hamill Car website, will probably easier just go onto uh, go onto Amazon, and um, and that's it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's great. I'll read. It's a it, it's a good read to go on like a, a short journey somewhere, or you've got a little plane ride, and you, you've got a couple of hours to kill. It's, it's it's one of those. And the whole series of the Hamill Car Noir is really good. My, my good friend Luke G. Williams just come out with his book of Ike. Um, I'm not going to try and pronounce second name now because I've suddenly got brain fog, but uh, it's about a top Nigerian heavyweight boxer uh, who has got a great story with them as well. But in terms of Johnny, yeah, jump on Amazon and um, I hope you enjoy it. And, you know, for anyone listening to this, please fire any questions you've got of me about boxing. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of this podcast. Hopefully, you know, you, you guys will find a window of opportunity to get me back on at some point. It's been a real pleasure and um, I really appreciate the time. Thank you. Well, much like uh, Johnny Tapia's life, he, he he put, what, about three or four lives into that 45 years on this planet. And I think that's pretty much what you've done with Johnny Tapia's book as well. You've managed to get so much into what people might look at as a short book. And I'm telling you now, if, if guys, if, if you haven't read this book, please do go and buy it. Please do go and read it. It's absolutely brilliant. Paul, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for taking the time out to speak to us. No, I really appreciate it, Sean. And uh, yeah, very best of, uh, of, of luck with uh, the podcast series. As like I said, you, you, you got a banging um, production going on here. So I, I wish you the very best of going into the future. Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.